Hello and welcome to this week's Made in Scotland podcast, sponsored by Ogilvy Ross. I'm Gary Robinson. This week's guest is Dr Suzanne Zedike. Dr Zedike, Suzanne, is a research scientist who's absolutely fascinated by babies' innate capacity to connect. Now, from 1993, she was based at the University of Dundee, right here in Scotland, within the School of Psychology. In 2011, Suzanne stepped away from her full-time academic post in order to establish an independent training enterprise. Its aim? To help the public understand all that science has discovered about the importance of emotional connection for human health and happiness. And you know what? It's working. Approximately 40,000 people have now attended her speaking events up and down the UK and abroad. And she reaches over 50,000 people a week on social media, which will stand this podcast in good stead. In 2014, 2014, Suzanne broadened, uh, broadened her public reach even further by founding the organisation Connected Baby. Uh, Suzanne, welcome to Made in Scotland. I am delighted to be here. So you've not really been that busy since 2011 <laughs> then? Uh, it's a different world for me since 2011, reaching the public. We've had uh, a number of fantastic podcast conversations in the past, which has been specifically about your work. The difference about Made in Scotland is it's all about you Ooh. and the impact that you have made <laughs> as an individual uh, to this great country of ours. Now, uh, I'm not a native of this country. You're not a native. We can tell by these accents. So before we find out what brought you to Scotland, tell me a little bit about your early years and your upbringing and your background. Ah, well, we, my family moved all over the United States, which is common for families in the U.S. And my favorite period of that was uh, in the south of America, which led me to be able to do a southern accent and everything, where I grew up on a farm with cows and pigs and chickens and rabbits. And it was a fabulous way to spend a childhood. We used to spend our summer evenings sleeping in the top of the barn in the hay where I read my three younger brothers and sisters' children's books. And I think that added to my real love of literature. So you were the eldest. I was the oldest of three. And I, I loved that period growing up on the farm. And I think now about all the children who don't have that kind of childhood. But just hanging out, honestly, listening to the... Chickens crow as the sun came up, and they were really good days. And do you think those those memorable days on the farm with the white picket family sounds idyllic? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of the first scenes of the Wizard of Oz. To be fair, I liked House on the Prairie. Oh, Little to House say, on but... the Prairie. We'll give you that. Little House on the Prairie. Do you think that set you up to be the individual that you are today? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, your early years, and of course, that, when I say early years, I often mean birth to three, but. I'm really talking about my primary years here, but really thinking about how childhood influences who you turn out to be is, I mean, it's not unusual. Lots of us do it, but it's really important to do that because we can then think about oh, what are the childhoods of children like today that that may have lost something from the past. And if that's really important, then we need to figure out how to bring those elements back. And I spent my time roaming in 50 acres of woods and swimming in streams where there were snapping turtles and uh, really kind of carefree compared to the way that lots of children will grow up now. And, of course, I didn't think about it then. It was just normal. Would you want to go back to that now? Oh, Gary. Uh, 
Oh, I don't know how to answer that. You know, life moved on. I'm delighted with what I'm doing now. So you can't have everything in life. The point is to seek joy. So I'm really joyous with what I'm doing now. So what brought you to the shores of Scotland? Ah, I often say that I think that in a previous life, I lived in Scotland because I had been going to come here my whole life. We had family, friends, and I had dreamed of coming to Scotland my whole life. And I now think I was probably here in a previous lifetime and I was probably burned as a witch (laughs) for outrageous, rebellious thinking. And I've just come back to say you cannot get rid of me that easily. I'm still here to help us do thinking. But what really brought me here was this dream that I had my whole life of coming because we had family friends. And I first came in my early 20s because I had a short-term job, uh, which let me be here for two years. And by that time, I'd really kind of fallen in love with Scotland. And then when I could have an academic position, I came back and that was at Dundee. I love you talking about that rebellious nature of yours. <laughs> um, is, that a, is, that some, is that nature or nurture? The re- that rebellious streak in you? Well, do you know, it's about I hate fear and unfairness and I just, I can't bear it. So that rebellion comes from wanting to change that and take away from what is really stupid limitations on lots of us. But it takes courage to turn and look at that. And so for me, that's where my rebellious spirit comes from. I wasn't actually a very rebellious kid at all. My rebellion really came as a young, you know, later in life rather than as a... In fact, I was a very good girl, probably a bit boring looking back on it now. But uh, I learned how to do not. that later. Probably <laughs> not. What's, what's, what or and or who has, has inspired you to do what you do? Ah, uh, do you know, lots of people tell me I'm a lot like my father, who had a who also had a vision of what he wanted to do in the world, um, and I must have picked that up from him a sense of trying to make a difference in the world, but the feeling that inspires it is this sense of frustration of wanting to make a difference and and just and do away with what are often stupid limitations and unfairness and the things that help us to not feel good about ourselves that gets woven into your brain. And I find it incredibly enlivening to try to find ways to fight that. And somehow, I mean, I must have got that from teachers as well. The the really interesting thing is the people who influence you in that regard, you might not always know who they were, but one of those influences will definitely be my father. And is that ingrained in your siblings or are are you the one that stands out? Probably in that regard of trying to make a difference in the world and using that frustrated energy, I'm, I'm definitely the one that got that. Uh, in fact, you know, sometimes people say, but you're raised in the same household and you wonder how your kids all turn out differently. Do you know what? It's not true. Every single child who comes into a family, the family looks different. So, you know, an oldest child had only their parents for a wee while. And by the time you're down to four children, there's a whole lot of other children in that family. So it does become interesting to wonder how the size of a family makes a difference to the way that each of those children turn out. This this podcast and this series, uh, we want it to be as raw as possible um, because I I think we learn a lot from people um, in that regard. So 
Would you be willing to share an experience with us um, that took you to, at the time, a dark place? And how did you subsequently battle that? Yes, although now it makes me laugh. But at the time, I was at the end of a relationship breakup, which lots of people have, but it was a particularly bad one for me. And I had been in this bad place for a long time, and now I realize I was depressed, but I couldn't figure out how to get out of it. So it sounds crazy, but I was very serious at the time. I didn't really want to be here anymore. So I thought about suicide, but I couldn't figure out how to achieve that without hurting the people I loved. And in fact, that was one of the things that I came to realize, that one of the things that keeps you on your on this earth, when you've reached the point of thinking about suicide, is the people you love. And so people who do go through with that somehow couldn't even draw on that energy. So I learned a lot from that. <clears throat> but what I dreamed up was, if I went and jumped out of a plane with a parachute, maybe that would take care of it. And so I had this kind of a, what now I laugh at this idea, that if I jumped out of a plane with a parachute on, and that maybe it wouldn't open, and then it would be a terrible tragedy and everyone would feel sad, but they couldn't be angry at me. And so that's what I did. I didn't tell them that I was depressed, but I went for the day's training on how you jump out of a plane. And it wasn't a tandem jump. It's the kind of where you have to get out the door yourself, and, and you're hooked in by a line, and it pulls open the parachute automatically. And something really fascinating happened. There were three people who jumped in front of me. And I was sitting there with one leg hanging out the edge of a plane. It's kind of crazy. You go up in a plane, 2,000 feet, with no door. Planes are supposed to have doors. No door. Hanging on to either side of the handles that they've got there with one leg hanging out. So at this point, yep. you, you were ready to jump out of the plane expecting to die. I don't know if I was expecting to die, but I was kind of hoping it. Because then it would be over, and I would be out of pain, and nobody, everybody would be sad who loved me, but I couldn't have caused them grief, because that was my trouble. I didn't want to be here anymore, and I couldn't figure out how to resolve my problem at that point, whilst not causing them any more grief. I was quite caught in that. And of course, I was telling anybody that. I mean, people knew I'd broken up and that I was upset, but I wasn't telling them how really awful it was. So I had, I mean, now it just sounds crazy as a solution, but at the time, it kind of made sense to me that that maybe the, because I'd read lots of stories of, you know, parachutes that just didn't open. And I, so I kind of hoped it just wouldn't. And I guessed crashing would be bad, but it wouldn't last very long. And, but this really interesting transformative moment happened. While I sat there, ready with the with the guy, ne- the leader, trainer, teacher sitting next to me, counting down, I turned really sharply and said to him, "Don't you dare help! Because the point of this that I get out of this door on my own." And suddenly I realized I was scared, and I reasoned that if I was scared, maybe I didn't want to die. So it was this really kind of lightning bolt moment that maybe I didn't want to die, but I was supposed to get out the door. So it it was all in this moment just before I jumped. And obviously I didn't die because I'm still there. I have to say I did every single thing possibly wrong that you could do in a parachute jump. I got no points. So 
if you want to learn to do it on your own, you have to get all these points. I got none of those because I did everything badly. But by the time that I was down on the ground and went back to my life, what I had discovered is was a different kind of determination. And I decided to somehow to turn that fear into getting on with this. So I bought a calendar and I wrote on every single day, I got through today. And I started counting the number of days that I got through, just drawing on this little tiny insight that maybe if I was scared, maybe it meant I didn't want to die. And I started trying to draw on that. And obviously, I recovered over time. But it was a kind of a surprise at the time to discover that I was scared to die. And I, I, su- I suppose I have, in some sense, continued to try to use that, that kind of determined, I will get through this spirit that I just consciously became aware of sitting at the edge of that empty airplane door. Do you know, I've never told that story in public, so... Now everyone will know. Across the world. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for sharing it. Um, on, the, on the flip side of that question, let's, uh, let's look at a professional or a personal high. I think probably a professional high uh, because of the nature of the podcast. So is there, is, there a, is there a particular professional high that is really memorable for you? Oh, yeah. In fact, I feel like the luckiest person in the world because I'm living my dream. Somebody once said to me, oh yes, all scientists want to make a name for themselves. And I remember being confused when I heard that, because I thought, what? I don't want to make a name. I want to make a difference. And that is what I want to do. So I get a professional high just about every single day, because people now write with all the social media to say, Suzanne, I, I tried what you suggested in a training or what you suggested in that last post on social media, and my baby doesn't cry as often, or I got two hours more sleep last night, or we've changed our policy at the nursery, and so we now tell people that we cuddle babies, and before we were afraid to tell them that. So people write to tell me what they tried doing with this information that I'm trying to get out there. It's scientific information. It's kind of crazy what I did. I resigned from a well-paid post in order to try to get the public interested in science. And science usually scares people. So the, the idea that they are finding ways to make science work in their lives, and they want a right to tell me about that, totally inspires me. And on the bad days, because I have them some days, I, even though I'm the luckiest person in the world, I still have bad days about how am I going to make this happen or do I have enough energy to tackle this new project I started. When people write and say, um, last night I could remember that it won't always be this way when I have my oldest toddler who's crying for my attention and I'm trying to take care of a new baby or... Um, I went back and asked my mother what it was like for her when I was a preemie baby in the incubator because I now think that that's had an impact on the way I do relationships. That kind of courage to to do things that are hard or to turn and look at things that are scary is incredibly inspiring for me. And people, the fact that people want to write to tell me what they're doing with it is for me a really um, professional achievement. And I'm just lucky that I get to do that really almost every day. 
Now, in, in this series, we're looking at aspects of leadership. Uh, in this particular series of Made in Scotland. Um, what are your thoughts on leadership, starting with a leader's attributes? To be a leader, you have to be courageous because you have to go against uh, often the received wisdom. If you go with the received wisdom, you're a manager. If you're a leader, you have to think beyond it, which means that you have to sometimes or often do courageous things. So I think that's what it takes to be a leader is the willingness to be courageous or to craft courage. And every person that I regard as a leader has that quality. And I seek to try to do that myself. And let's go back to your work with this. I, I, and we've got to be careful because we've only got about half an hour. Um, <laughs> but, you know, our leaders... And this is a great question for you, actually. You're probably the only guest that could answer this with any scientific insight, I think, oh, in this no. particular series. Born or created? Oh, I think they're created because any of us can be a leader. We just have to craft the courage to do that. And any of us can be courageous. We might need some help with that. We might, you know, it doesn't come easy, courage, but any of us can be a leader what, what I do know is that not everybody wants to be a leader. I used to kind of assume that everybody wants to be a leader and make change, but now I realize they don't. For some people, that's really a bit scary. So I often then say, okay, then find somebody to follow who inspires you as a leader. The key thing, there's so much science coming out that tells us what we need to do to 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 help children to thrive, not just survive, but to thrive and to really fulfill their potential. But, uh, but that evidence often tells us that we need to change the way we're doing things. So tackling established practice takes courage. If it feels too scary to step into that and do that yourself, then find somebody to follow who helps, who helps to inspire the kind of changes that you make. And actually, I think following people who inspire you is what turns you into a leader anyway. So I think leaders are made often from within as well as from what happens without. We know that technology has changed professional and personal lives dramatically over the past 30 years. Does that worry you or does that excite you? It worries me. And why? And I much prefer to be excited <laughs> but that it worries me. And it it's digital technology is changing the way we relate to each other. So our uh, mobile phones, especially our mobile phones, um, intrude on relationships. There's now a whole lot of evidence coming out about the way in which mobile phones suck up our attention and our focus, and we don't notice what's going on around us. We check them twice as often a day as we think we do. And there are now studies coming out that show how children try to get parents' attention. They misbehave, what we would call misbehave. In other words, they, ha they haven't got attention, which helps them to regulate their emotions. Um, it makes parents more irritable. So very often we worry about how young people are sucked into their technology. 
I find it really interesting to think about how adults are sucked into their technology and how that intrudes on relationships and then changes the, the, the responsive rhythm within a relationship. Human beings are wired biologically for connection. And that's what gives us health and happiness, that emotional connection, because that's the kind of species we are. I worry that electronic technology is, is changing the way we relate to each other. And especially for young children, that changes the brains and their bodies. If that, in, if that undermines our capacity to be empathic and to listen to each other and to tune into each other, the world will be a more worrying place. I know that there are good things about technology. And if we stay in charge of the way we use technology, sure, those benefits of technology could be out there. But actually, digital technology has a way of sucking us in and transforming us. And so I worry about our capacity to stay in charge of it. I love it when I get a guess. Well, I love it. I love it and I don't because... Each answer makes me want to have a five-hour podcast, but I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. I'm trying also to stay focused <laughs> when I would rather go big. I know, I know. <laughs> um, I would love you to suggest a book that you think could change somebody's life. I can tell you the book that changed mine. The book that changed my life is Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. Now, that book is a bit too spiritually, a bit too touchy-feely, a bit too namby-pamby for lots of people. But that book changed my life, and it's been sold to about six million other people. So I'm not the only one getting things out of that book. What? I learned two things from that book. The first was he, he talks about the way in which when we resist the now, when we resist the present, what is going on, and we think about what we would rather have happening, and we get irritated or we get sad or we get angry, that we have moved into a fantasy world that is the way we would rather have it be. But we're not in the real world. And actually, <clears throat> we're spending time in a fantasy world, and we'll never get that time back. And I got that because I haven't got enough time. I didn't want to spend time in a fantasy world. So then he gave me the real thing that changed my life. He said, how do you know when you're resisting the now? Any negative energy is resisting the now. So you could, I use it as a tool. When I move into negative energy, I know I'm resisting the now and I'm wasting time. So it really helped me to be real, to stay in the present, and to help me tackle things that were both difficult in my life and to think about how do we tackle things that are difficult in systems. And I buy his calendar every single year now. That's what goes up on my wall, and all my friends get copies too. So they all know that's my very favourite book. Here's a quote for you. Guitar groups are on the way out, Mr Epstein, said Dick Rowe of Decca Records when the Beatles manager Brian Epstein was looking for a contract for the band. <sighs> Sad him. <laughs> do you have any regrets? Do you know I don't have any professional regrets? I have some sadnesses in my personal life, but I have no professional regrets. When I decided to take this big step of stepping away from an academic position to opening if what was effectively a small business, knowing nothing about how small businesses are run, I, when I thought about doing that, was I really going to do that? Even the thought of it actually gave me panic attacks. I had panic attacks for months at the idea of resigning a post that I had worked. I loved being an academic. I think I've been going to do that my whole life. So the idea of leaving it 
genuinely gave me panic attacks. I woke up sometimes in the middle of the night with them. But do you know, I used a piece of wisdom, that, that saying that says, your worst regrets in life are the things you didn't try. And I thought, okay, I'm going to take that piece of wisdom from people that are older and more experienced than me, and I'm going to give it a shot. And do you know, it was absolutely the right thing to do, to try disseminating science to the public. And on the days that I have, on the days when I don't have any doubts it was the right decision, did I do it in the right way? The people who say to me, I am so glad you made that choice, Suzanne, tells me it's worth taking a risk. So... That now sits on my wall. The worst regrets you have are the things you didn't try. It's worked for me. And that, that, that sort of ties up with my next question about a piece of advice that you, would, that you would give somebody. I think that ties that up really nicely, unless you've got something that's burning that you would like to share. So, you know, a piece of professional or personal advice too. And it could yes. be about anything at all. Seek joy. Don't seek happiness. Happiness comes from outside seek joy because it comes from inside and when you don't know what to do the answer always lies in figuring out what brings you joy and sometimes life feels pretty confusing so going back to what brings me joy and using that as the guide of life it, it gives you a center point that's a toughie for me because i i i would find it very difficult to differentiate between happiness and joy Oh, well, you see, there's a whole nother podcast in there, <laughs> Gary. Joy comes from within. If we seek the things that bring us joy in the world, then we are being ourselves. We are being authentic selves. And perhaps that's part of the journey of life is to figure out what, what brings me joy. What would you like your legacy to be? I just want to be effective. I, what brings me most joy. It just is like this zigger. You feel totally alive when people share something about how anything I did helped them to be courageous, helped them to find themselves more, helped them to take a scary step, helped them to be you know, more true to themselves. And I don't mean that in some self-congratulatory way. I mean it because it just I just like surrounding myself with courageous people. And so, and, and that brings me joy. So I seek to do that myself. And I like hanging around with people professionally and personally who are also being brave in this world. And of course, being brave often doesn't feel like that on the inside. It only looks from that like that from the outside. Because when you're seeking joy... You do the things that make you happy. And on the outside, it can look like courage, but from the inside, it just feels like joy. Last two questions. Yep. Uh, the podcast series is Made in Scotland, and we're celebrating people that make an, uh, an impact and a difference to this beautiful, wonderful country. It doesn't matter their background or what they do. It's people in arts. It's in science. It's in business maybe even in politics in future weeks. You never know. Um, what, what do you really love about this great country and its people? I love its wish for equality. Scotland retains a wish for equality and for people to have fulfilling lives, even in the midst of difficulty. 
And so there is a fighting spirit in Scotland that goes back centuries that I really thrill to. What you need to bring to that is the confidence to make change. And I think that's one of the things that Scotland is is currently uh, embarking on is that our confidence is increasing which will help us to have creative ways to actually achieve the sense of equality that we're looking for. And Scotland can set a kind of a standard for that in the world. There's only five million of us. And so if we can think better about how to achieve equality in times that are really unequal, then we can help other countries to think about how they do that too. I've asked each guest over the series to choose a song because I think songs really show the soul of a person. It's really interesting. And we've got some crackers coming up over the next couple of weeks. Um, before you reveal the, the, the name of your song, can I, mm-hmm. just, can I just thank you for being here and being so, so honest? As I said, it's one of the, you're one of those guests where you just want to stick another hour, maybe, <laughs> maybe another time. Um, but thank you for that. Tell me about why this particular song means so much to you and we'll 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 play the podcast out with it i love this song because it speaks to what i think we all need to get us through the most difficult times it speaks of self-respect it speaks of dreams it speaks of how we respect other people and if we could just put into practice the message of this song we would be we would have the kind of world that most people want to live in And I can't figure out how this group got the meaning of life into such a simple and short song. And the song is? Dignity by Deacon Blue. There's a man I meet Walks up our street He's a worker for the council Has been 20 years And he takes no lip of nobody And litter off the gutter Puts it in the back And never thinks to mutter And he packs his lunch in the sun That's back The children call him boogie He never lets off But I know cause he once told me He let me know a secret About the money in his kitty He's gonna buy a dinghy Gonna call her Dignity And I'll sail her on the west coast Through villages and towns I'll be on my holidays They'll be doing the rounds They'll ask me how I got her I'll say I saved my money i say isn't she pretty that she called Dignity And I'm telling this story In a faraway sea Sipping down racket And reading me in our keys And I'm thinking about home And all that that means And a place in the winter for dignity And I'll sail up the west coast Through the 
Scotland podcast, sponsored by Ogilvy Ross, was produced by Chris Kidd for Gardine Studios and GRC.